At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. So lately, we've had some podcasts on hydronics and even some on heating. So we're going to continue some hydronics conversation with the topic of heat exchangers. We're going to go through about three types of heat exchangers. And I'm not talking about heat exchangers in a rooftop or a furnace that you burn off when you start up the machine. I'm not talking about those types of heat exchangers. We're talking about hydronic heat exchange. And I've worked on hydronic heat exchangers before where they actually were used for evaporators or condensers, but there's many more applications that we're going to get into this conversation with Israel Piatini from Armstrong Fluid Technology right now, guys. It's, it's an educational one and we're going to go through some types, some applications, and we're going to get this done. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and just yesterday I was speaking to the Hydronics branch about putting a quote together to replace an old boiler for one of my customers with a wall-hung NTI sidewall vented. We're going to put like a, a magnetic-type filter in it that just grabs any crap that's in the system. So if you're looking for some NTI boilers, guys, check out Master Check out master.ca. This podcast is sponsored by Cintas, and they are providing blue-collar uniforms to the blue-collar trades. And when I say blue-collar, I mean actual blue collars. I chose a blue collar shirt for McCready HVAC because I wanted to keep that theme strong. So they provide work shirts, they got flame resistant clothing, outerwear. So if you're looking for uniforms, a uniform solution for your team, check out Cintas. We got a landing page at Cintas.com forward slash HVAC know it all. Welcome to the HVAC Know It All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Israel, my man, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Gary, I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good. We're going to do some heat exchanger discussion. And this is something I don't think we've discussed on the podcast just yet. And when I say heat exchanger, just so the audience is aware here, we're not talking about a heat exchanger in a gas-fired furnace or gas-fired rooftop. We're talking about a hydronic heat exchanger where we have some heat exchange taking place. In, in I've seen these in big building applications. I've seen these in small little chillers because the, 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 the heat exchanger that the heat exchangers we're going to talk about could, could actually be an evaporator or a condenser. I've seen them in many different applications. So we're going to have a discussion around this and, um, Israel, I want to give you a quick minute or so just to introduce yourself. Tell us what you do, who you are and your background within the industry, if you don't mind. Hey, of course. Yeah. My name is Israel Piantini. I work for Armstrong Fluid Technology. And um, I kind of fall myself into the HVAC industry with Armstrong about 2013. I have a background on um, more in the control side 
I'm an electrical okay. engineer, but um, I started getting into the fluid uh, technology with Armstrong, and now I'm more into like uh, working with palms. And I have worked for Armstrong in in the after sales department for a bit, and warranty, field service. I was a field service specialist. And now I'm a, a global technical training manager. So I work with all of the products. And um, yeah, heat exchanger is something that I has, have been exposed to, as well as all of the different products that I'm sure sell. Okay, cool. So what is the main application? I, I know that, that we're going to talk about three different types, just so everybody's on board here. We're going to talk about uh, shell and tube, plate and frame, and braised plate heat exchangers. So what where do you see the applicant? Like, are you seeing these things in larger uh, applications, smaller applications, or is it kind of across the board? Yeah, this is kind of across the board, but mostly commercial and industrial applications. Well, whether fluid uh, must be like quickly heated or cooled, uh, that's when you will see uh, this sometimes, in, in, and also like, um, like uh, chemical plants as well. Um, you might see uh, heat exchangers, right? So it's a, b- a big range, right? Depending on, on, on the type of the heat exchanger and uh, and the application itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I used to work on these little small heater chillers. That's They're called heater chillers. They're made by Mocon out of Buffalo. And some of those actually, they, they were water-cooled. And some of them actually had, uh, the. I, I believe they were, they weren't shell and tube. They were a type of plate, and I think they might have been braised plate heat exchangers yeah. where where the, the refrigerant went in one side, came out the other, water went in one side and came out the other, and that's where the the the, the removal or the rejection of heat, uh, the, the rejection of heat from the, the uh, chiller system in the air conditioning mode went to the water side, and the water just kind of went wherever exactly. it went. It, Right. Exactly. Mostly for hydronic uh, heating or cooling, you will you will see those and those applications for refrigeration, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. So why don't we start with the shell and tube heat exchanger and give us maybe just a description or a breakdown of the uh, of the, um, the the description of of how it's kind of put together from 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 your from your point of view. Well, yeah. Well, the the, the shell and tube heat exchangers are like. Uh, Kind of consists of like a, like the name says, it's just a, a tube um, um, or a shell that has an inlet and an outlet with connections uh, that carries the fluid, and then like a tube bundle uh, that has an inlet and outlet with connections uh, that handle it, that handle another fluid, another type of fluid. Then the the wall that actually um, the wall of the tubes itself. Is the boundary between the two different fluids, and that's the the where that's where what is known as the heat transfer surface. So um, pretty much uh, those are um, have a, a big range of applications, uh, um, mostly on HVAC or to industrial installations, uh, suitable for like high pressure applications or. Some old refineries also use them, um, and other large chemical uh, processes. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, uh, certain means like, for example, for those, uh, uh, th- those are a little bit, I guess, 
not complicated, but they're a little bit finicky just because of the decomposition of the materials involved. So the, the actual bundle of the tubes itself, those are either made of uh, stainless steel or copper or uh, copper nickel, depending on usually copper nickel I use for, for Copernicus is like high, highly resistant to, to, to corrosion. So this is when, when, when the application is like with salted water or, or marine applications and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, the, the, I think there is a certain means that are, that are used to, to prevent damage on those units, like, um, the actual, uh, tubes itself have like a U, um, U form, like a U shape, okay. like yep. a U two bundles, um, and, and that's like kind of, kind of like to avoid um, damage through uh, expansion. Sometimes uh, it's necessary to 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 provide other means, like the uh, a head that has a um, like a flexible uh, joint, so that they mm -hmm. can allow for some um, some expansion. Okay. Um, and um, the there are several types of the the, the tubing bundle. You have like water to water that they will uh, transfer the heat from, well, I guess, fluid to fluid, and yep. the other one is uh, steam to water. Okay. And and you can find them in the, a lot of ranges from as small as like four inches diameter to thirty inches diameter, depending on how big um, the application is. Okay, so I mean, if if we had a problem, let, let's say we weren't getting a, a proper heat exchange across one of these, how would we go about knowing that the that the heat exchange, or, or let's say we're just having a, a problem with the system in general, and, and we came to find out that. Hmm, our heat exchange doesn't seem right. How could we pinpoint that the, the shell and tube heat exchanger is the actual problem with our system? What are, what are some methods um, we could use there? Well, you know, um, I think one of the, the, one of the main uh, sources uh, of an issue is uh, foaling, right? So foaling is like uh, where there is any type of residue that gets stuck within the tubes or within the, the shell itself. Um, and that um, restricts the flow on the heat mm -hmm. exchanger, and that will yeah. directly affect the, the performance of the equipment. Um, it could be corrosion too sometimes, depending on the if if the material of the heat exchanger selected wasn't right for the application, or if it's, for example, in chemical applications, if it's uh, reacting to the material of the heat exchanger, then you'll see uh, problems like that. But uh, one of the main problems with this also is uh, um, water hammer, and it's also and it's related to the operation of it. So one of the things on, like uh, for example, the water hammer, pretty much occurs when uh, uh, a large quantity of steam is allowed to condense rapidly in, in inside the enclosure of the shell, mm -hmm. and then. Because the the walls of the of the um, the shell and tube heat exchanger are so thin, they're very vulnerable, and also the the tubes are made of copper, uh, of copper, 
um, the that's a relatively soft metal thing. Yeah, that's right. So if um, the, there there has to be a method. For example, when you are starting up a heat exchanger, when you are uh, putting it in operation, you have to uh, one of those. You have to always start with the with the cold side first and fully fill it up and um, make sure that you vent all the 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 air and stuff like that so and then you do the 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 hot side and has to be done slowly as well to to first to 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 avoid um um to avoid uh water hammer and to avoid um expansion on the on the tubes itself as well so um those, uh, as I was saying, the water hammer mostly occurs in steam uh, to water units. And it happens when you isolate the heat exchanger to put it out of out of service, or if they, there is no, let's say, hot water or, or hot liquid load, and the valve for the steam closes. Um, if the buffer steam closes, it could uh, create some sort of condensation inside the, inside the tube, and that creates some liquid. So the moment that okay. that uh, valve opens, if the man comes back up and that valve opens back up, then it creates like that uh, water hammer. There's like more like an implosion of the, the water changing, the, the liquid there changing temperature so quickly and can, mm -hmm. obstruct, can uh, severely, da severely damage all of the 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 tubes inside so you yeah and, and i've seen i've photos. witnessed i've i've witnessed this so, sorry to cut you off i've just while i have the thought i've witnessed this myself with steam boiler yeah. applications in in the piping when the piping is filled with water and and then the steam boiler starts up and that steam is trying to push its way through that water um because that water is basically creating resistance to the steam and the steam is, is trying to move through it at, at, at a bit of a higher pressure it, it creates a rumbling and rattling and stuff yes. in the pipe so it's exactly. kind of similar to what you're you're explaining and and you you mentioned when i asked you the question originally about troubleshooting these and you mentioned flow well is it possible that we could just put a, a gauge on either side uh, like flow in flow out measure the differential and like on startup get uh get like a baseline and then check mm -hmm. these check it on maintenance or if there's a problem uh, down the road, sometime we go on a service call. Well, okay, the baseline is is this dif differential. Let me check the, the, the differential now. And if the differential is too low, maybe we don't have enough flow through that heat exchanger yeah. that could be causing yeah, a problem. Yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. Maybe one of the best ways to, to, to figure out there's a problem internally. So when it comes to analog gauges, I've used Yellow Jacket for like 25 years. And they've always been solid go-tos. Like if I need a gauge set... And, and I don't want to use digital or don't need to use digital or before digital, it was always my analog yellow jackets. Now, keeping them maintained is super important. That's why yellow jacket has got kits for you to rebuild your manifolds and, and seal kits for you to change out the seals in your hoses. And if you're not maintaining them, they're not going to work properly. You're going to get have leaks and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's very important to keep your gauges maintained. So check out their, their seals and their repair kits online and, and get your gauges maintained. Comedy Cam is a platform that allows you to get organized on a job 
and organize forever on that job. No more file folders, no more going through emails looking for pictures and images. Everything you do on that job and everybody that's on that job or part of it can go in and add add pictures, they can add voice memos, they can add memos, videos, and they're there forever. And if there's ever a problem on that job later, you can go back into that one specific job on the company cam cloud and find all that information right there. No sifting through emails and pictures on your phone. So check out company cam for that reason. JB warranties is a warranty program an aftermarket warranty program that allows you to give peace of mind, peace of mind to your customers when it comes to warranty outside of the OEMs warranty. 10 year compressor warranty, the customer wants five. Well, that's where JB warranty steps in and adds that extra five for you and also includes labor for you to go back and replace it. That's, that's pretty cool, right? So if you're looking to give your customers a little bit more peace of mind, check out JB warranties. Um, because you will see then your flow definitely restricting. And, and even like for, for Waterhammer, you'll see, if you were to inspect it, you will see a very uh, visual, physical damage into the tube bundle. Like uh, sometimes you can see the tubes are crushed. Sometimes you can see even the tubes that have like a hole as big as four inches. Like it, it's, it's crazy whatever happens inside there with, with, when, when the phenomenon occurs. Um, it's definitely very vile. So that, that has to, um, the way that you manage or isolate or, or even install um, a, a heat exchanger, a shell and tube heat exchanger, needs to be very uh, carefully done. So let's, uh, how would we prevent, it, it just leads me to, because because it's, it's so true what you're saying, you close off the steam valve and, and, and it starts to condensate inside, then it opens back up on demand. So how would we prevent that hammer, just like a slow opening valve or like just just slowly getting that steam back in there at a slow rate? Yes, it has to be very particular how you start it up or put it back into operation. It's the, mm-hmm. it's, it has to have a sequence. And also, like, um, installing, um, so let's call like a um, vacuum. Oh, a vacuum uh, breaker? Vacuum breakers yeah. on the steam side or in the steam uh, 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 inlet, then you can prevent all that of, of happening as well. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 the, you can prevent that mostly with a proper <coughs> installation. Bless you. Well, proper installation thank, thank of the you. of the of the heat exchanger, right? And as well as you said, the proper operation. Um, one of the things, for example, if uh, you are to put the the heat exchanger out of commission or for whatever reason, or if you're gonna uh, not put it into service for a while, it has to be fully drained. You cannot leave it with a, a liquid inside, or you cannot uh, because then it can cause other other issues as well. So you need to fully drain it and try to dry it out, and and um, that way you can avoid further problems like that. Perfect. Okay, so let, let's move on to plate and frame. Uh, plate and frame is, is that so? Obviously, it. I'm just trying to think in my head when I walk in through these larger mechanical rooms that I used to walk through all the time when I was mm-hmm. with my former company, those, those are the heat exchangers that you see that have different layers and they're kind of bolted together, right? On, on each side. Exactly. Exactly. So the plan frame, like I, 
consists like on a bunch of uh, uh, specially corrugated metal plates, pretty much. Okay. They're assembled in a, in a frame and they're bolted into two pressure plates, one that is fixed, one that is fixed and one that's adjustable. And okay. they're just, just compact like that. Um, so then there is like a, a camera, like the, the turbulence is created uh, um, uh, in the liquid flow through the channels. And then uh, that's how uh, kind of like the heat transfer passes. You have like two passes or two uh, different, um, um, I guess, uh, ways for the flow to go depending on the application sometimes you have the the the, the two flows going in the cold side and the hot side yep. when a uh, counter flow sometimes you have on the same on the same uh, direction um, which one is which on which, the... which one is better because I've, I've always been told and I've always seen with different other other st styles of heat exchangers especially um, in refrigeration with water-cooled coaxial coils that Counterflow has always been the way to do it. So, in, in your in your experience, what do you find is the better way to exchange uh, the heat? Counterflow will give you uh, a bigger, like, differential uh, temperature, right? So yep. that that will give you a higher efficiency. But there are some applications where you don't need the the differential temperature to be that big, mm -hmm. and and then you just use uh, the same. Um, Kind of like just use the same the same uh, direction of the flow for inlet and outlet. Perfect. Okay. So uh, so it's just based, I guess, on the application and what is needed. All right, and and I know I, I've I've listened to to people say, yeah, we can take these apart and and cl for cleaning purposes and all that. So it is so we can take these these uh, plate and frames apart for cleaning. Like, is this is this an easy task? Like, how, how do we do this? Yeah. Not really an easy task, right? But uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's time consuming because you have, you can have a hundred and something plates on a heat exchanger, right? And wow. they're and they are uh, strategically placed. So even if you have on the on the actual um, spec sheet for that heat exchanger, you have uh, a list of where each plate is located. Oh wow! Like in uh, the position of each plate and the position of each gasket, so you okay. have, and and then after that you have also the the distance. That's how it kind of like you know that they're tied properly. It's just a distance between the 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 two plates. So you yep. have like those uh, uh, balls that you tighten, and then you'll have um, kind of like a um, I would say like. A threshold of how how what is the maximum and the minimum distance and then you can play around that but it's not an easy task because you you know there there is a lot of it we can actually uh, dig deeper into that or the different type of um, different type of problems that you will find with these uh, heat exchangers and depending on the problem that you find then there is a different way to kind of uh, tackle it and 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 try to resolve it. Uh, for so example, what, what would? Okay, go on, go on. I was going to ask you an example. So yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, so the, um, you can see the, those plates, uh, those heat exchangers leaking externally. At least it's, it's more like a visual uh, mm -hmm. problem, uh, but it could be 
leaking internally. It could be a lack of performance. It could be an excessive pressure drop. So those are uh, different type of, um, of of common problems, and they have a different ways to kind of troubleshoot them. Right. Um, for example, if the 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 plate and, and frame heat exchanger is leaking um, externally, let's say a startup. Um, as I used to work on a, on a warranty and after sales department for a lot, um, most of the times when a heat exchanger will leak at startup, because you know that we we pressure uh, test the this equipment right, and there is like very strict um, standards for heat exchangers. But um, it mostly related. It could be related to transportation. Sometimes they they get yanked, they get, they get dropped during shipping, and then um, that affects, and then that that misplaced can misplace a gasket or a plate or or damage it, and then that will uh, um, that will make uh, the heat exchanger uh, leak externally. Um, one thing that I will uh, always recommend is to check that that dimension that I mentioned. Like if it if it's not uh, to the to the minimum uh, dimension between the plates, you might want to tighten the bolts a little bit. They could have been also uh, mm-hmm. displaced during shipping. Um, and you know, um, sometimes you might have to conduct uh, a more severe inspection, taking it apart. Uh, it could have been that um, uh, a gasket, uh, I don't know, could could have been installed correctly or there was a pressure spike um, also. So uh, I, I think the- shipping is a, is a major one that I, I think a lot of installers or a lot of af- after we get past the installation, there's problems. I, I don't think many people think about the actual shipping process and, and what could mm-hmm. have happened. And, and I've started to see a lot of, I, I used to do a lot of work in warehouses. And I started to see a lot of boxes or a lot of containers or, or shipping, um, uh, I guess, a shipping container of some sort with these um, sensors on them that would that would basically tell you if the box yeah. was dropped too heavily or, or if it was upside down or, or something happened to that container that was a little bit more than than being uh forked out of a truck or or put on a put on a um a dolly to move it 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 dropped or it banged or something happened to it and and that indicator on the side of the box was something that um proved it so it's and then you then when then when it arrives you can look at that the installer whoever's receiving it can look at it and go hey wait a minute look at that thing right there. I'm not taking this because I'm not using damaged equipment. I think that somebody could make a killing um, on a product oh, like that. If, if, if it was on, if it was on all, all this machinery that got delivered to job sites and it showed up and, and now you put that liability on the shipper and now the liability is not on the manufacturer and now it's not on the, 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 the installing contractor. It's, it's on the person that, that shipped it. Well, who knows? It could be on the, uh, the person that made the, the device too, if it failed. But I mean, usually yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, if the device has been tested thoroughly and, it, and it's put out to market, most of the time, something like that is going to, is going to operate properly. But I think that would be a million dollar idea and save a lot of hassle, time and money and chasing your tail when startup 
comes along and there's a failure on the piece of equipment. Yeah, right on, right on. That, that, that so, would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, so let, let's move the conversation. We'll, we'll end it off with brazed plate heat exchangers. Now, these things are not put together with nuts and bolts. It's actually plates that are basically welded together, right? In, in, a, in a way? Yes. Yeah, so that's pretty much how, how they are. It's like a compact. Um, there are still plates that, they're, that they are um, placed, I guess, on uh, different directions or strategically placed with this rug uh, ways, but then they're kind of welded together, right? And um, and um, the, the operation on this, these are more for, uh, as you mentioned earlier, for refrigeration purposes. Um, the way also that they are welded, they allow for a higher uh, pressure mm-hmm. um, because they're uh, kind of like compacted together and those are like uh, chevron plates that uh, usually as a resistance they're made of stainless steel um, and then every other plate are, are like reversed and they have these ridges in, um, in a specific pattern that intersect to each other right then when they yeah. weld it they form a like a lattice uh, on, on contact points and um and uh, that's how that uh, I guess the 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 heat exchanger or the or the or the heat transfer uh, happens. It causes two different paths for two different liquids or two different um, two different uh, directions. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's why I've seen the 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 braze plate heat exchangers in refrigerant applications because the refrigerant. Mm-hmm is at a much higher pressure. So Correct. it would be, it would be a way better application than something that's bolted together. Right. Yes. Yes. Correct. Like uh, you can, you can find uh, the application of this as high as like over the 400 PSI mm-hmm. while the, the other heat exchangers it can go as like 300, 250 is the maximum uh, um, in higher, higher temperatures as well. Like uh, see like 200, degrees Fahrenheit, 392, not 392 Fahrenheit, 200 uh, Celsius. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm in Canada. So. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm in, I, I'm also in Canada, I, man. So. Okay. Well, so <laughs> I, 200 I, Celsius. I, I, yeah, I, I, I get Celsius. I, I don't want to offend any of our, of our friends in, in the U.S., but um, get on the, the metric system. I'm just kidding. This <laughs> is easy. Right? Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, so as far as braised plate heat exchangers go i guess i've seen them like the 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 plate and frame i've always seen them large large scale and the braised plate every time i've seen one it's been a smaller application is that is that a true statement or can the the braised plate come in the size of the the plate and frame as well Yes, they're relatively more compact because there's more smaller applications as well, more like yeah. uh, for like uh, hydronic heating, hydronic cooling, and things like that for refrigeration yeah. purposes. Uh, so you will see them smaller. Um, I don't know, but to my experience, I found them well. It, it's just their application that could be a little bit more reliable, just the way that they're constructed. Um, the one thing or the one problem that you pro that you might find is when uh, you're installing them, because usually, if the the piping uh, 
is being welded into the 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 heat exchanger. Um, you have to be careful and and the temperature when welding doesn't exceed the temperature that the actual um, brace will break, right? That will yeah, that will affect the brace. That's that's a good point. You could actually start to uh, affect the 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 braze in the plate while you're brazing so so protecting like with with um with a rag or some putty or Mm -hmm. something around the the joint is is a good idea yeah yeah that's actually a good point yeah i I didn't even think about that honestly to to be honest so that that is a very good point yeah besides that i think that quite quite reliable uh, pieces of uh, equipment and because of the composition itself and there is stainless steel so you the the problems of falling and and, and um, any residue being built it's it's minimal just because of the material um, mm-hmm. that is made of yeah and and I think that just for me going back to the the troubleshooting aspect any type of hydronic device that requires flow through it should have a gauge on either side so or or one gauge with 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 that it's connected to either side that we can valve off to check um inlet to check outlet uh it's super important because without that you don't know what's entering and you don't know what's leaving and you can't get a differential pressure to know if it's working as day one performance yes was right yeah, yeah, so, yeah, correct. That that's the best way to, to troubleshoot, and and also you have um, probably takes a little bit more of uh, of calculations. But if you do an energy balance calculation, right? Supposedly on the hot side, the the heat loss in the hot side should be or should be equal to the heat gain on the other side. Mm-hmm. Or that that those two uh, values of energy transfer has to be the same so there is a formula that you can uh, actually uh, calculate if you calculate the mass flow rate uh, on the hot side for example um, and multiply that by the the heat capacity of the specific fluid and multiply that with the differential temperature if it's on the hot side will be the inlet minus the outlet temperature so then that'll give you that that energy transfer, and that should be equal to the energy transfer on the on the cold side. And then you do the same thing, the same calculation, but on the cold side, the differential pressure will be the outlet temperature minus the inlet temperature. And then with, if those numbers do not equal, then you know that there is a performance issue. You know that there is an internal problem. Uh, it could be leaking internally from one side to the other. Um, it could be falling. It could be residue. It could be like I don't know the the actual um, composition of the fluid. It's uh, it's not rated, or the equipment is not actually working to rated conditions. Mm-hmm. Over pressure, over temperature, overflow, underflow. All of that will will make um, lack of performance on a heat exchanger. Awesome. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. The, the calculation would be something that's very cool, but I, I just know all these old school guys. They just go up and feel. <laughs> they just feel the pipes, right? They're like, ah, okay, that one, that one, yeah, okay. That there's a problem with the heat exchanger right there. Ideally, um, you want to have uh, temperature gauges, right? On, uh, yeah, on, on that right. That's right. We always make fun online of the um, the old school 
HVAC serviceman that he's got a, a, a smoke in his mouth. He's got one hand on the suction line. He's got one hand on the on the, the suction valve of his gauges, and he just sits there and smokes and opens the valve slightly till it's beer we can all, cold on the, on, the, on the suction guy. line. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so okay, cool. The, uh, Israel, this this was a a good conversation, and and we've brought to light some things that I, I didn't even think about, like when you're brazing. Um, some some connections on a brace plate heat exchanger yeah you got to protect it or you you might start um screwing around with 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 what they've how they've built it you might you might mess that up right and having gauges on other side the calculations that are available and all these calculations i'm sure are available online if anybody wants to to look them up and stuff like that right so um yeah great conversation man i appreciate the time thank you for having me gary Uh, yeah not a problem i had a good a great time awesome So after listening to the full conversation, I think we are more well in tune with heat exchangers and different types in the hydronic world. So now when you're out there in the field and you see one, you could probably identify it as being one of the types we talked about. This is what it's all about. It's all about education. So thank you, Israel, once again for getting onto the podcast with us. And thank you to the master group. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram. Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.